boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lassies, and those that don't subscribe to Agenda, welcome to the Pilot Dragon Podcast. This is the House of Dragon Review Podcast. Spencer, we have watched episode 10. We have watched the finale. We are here to react. It quite literally is 10.06, so we we turned it off about five minutes ago. We've gotten set up. This is our reaction podcast. Last one of the season, by the way. Last reaction podcast. Last time you're going to have to be with me at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Spencer, what did you think of the finale? The world wants to know. Well, something I want to even know first. Was this your actually first time watching it, or did you join in with the rest of the internet and getting spoiled by it being leaked by, what was it, the Middle Eastern office of HBO? I did not watch it. Uh, so I, I saved it for tonight, and, like, my wife uh, and I set up our big projector, and, like, I have these little dragon egg candles. I finally burned them tonight. <laughs> did it proper. Yeah, so we had a real big real big time with it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so, no, it, it was not spoiled for me. Was it spoiled for you? It was not, and I got to say, I thought it was a really well done episode. There were some notable changes, or at least, you know, one big one. Not and even that change could be within keeping of the book. But my stance always on changes and adaptations are: is it well crafted? Does it make sense for the characters? And I thought all of those fit fine here. I thought this was a very well written, very well acted, and particularly well paced episode with moments of true horror in a way that we've not yet seen in this show. And you know had mixed feelings about when they attempted to do it in Game of Thrones at times. I thought this was a very, very well-crafted exit to this season. I thought it was really good, too. And, I, you know, I'm shocked because, you know, obviously I'm through the Mangum Talks Twitter account, which, by the way, follow us at Mangum Talks if you have a chance. That would be really great to throw us a follow. Um, I'm online a lot with that account. And I think anybody who follows that knows it's me who does that account because it's like a lot of wrestling and what, stuff. What's um, Twitter? I'm confused. Yeah, Spencer has nothing to do with it, but I'm online heavily and people were really upset about this episode and I am a little surprised after watching it because I liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, you know, there's some stuff in it that like, you know, I think Damon choking Rhaenyra probably really upset a lot of people, but you know, the thing, here's my thought on the, the let's, let's kind of go through beat by beat some of the, the big events of the episode, like the choking sure. scene. So, you know, multiple times this season, you have sold me. Oh, well, Damon loves violence. And I go, wait a second. I don't know that we know he loves violence. Like he commits violence when violence needs to be done in his mind, like the going through King's Landing and cutting off the art, the, you know, the hands of the thieves and the genitals of the rapists and all that stuff yeah, and yeah. in the stepstones and then with Damon. But from his perspective, all of that is warranted. I, do I like that he was choking a woman on television? Of course I don't. But I, I do kind of like now that I – when you say Damon likes violence, I've got something that proves it, right? Like, yes, all right, now they've shown me he really does have – Out of the context have, of war or anything yeah, else. He really does have this sort of like violent streak that you have to watch out for that Rainier is going to have to watch out for. And I kind of like that we got some evidence of that. Of course, I don't like that he was choking my queen, but like I didn't hate that scene. I didn't either. I can just tell you some people had some objections to it just because I know a lot of people were very huge Damon fans, but I didn't think it was out of character. I also think it's important to note what it was grounded in of where he responded in this very violent manner when she revealed something that he as the heir should have known if Viserys had ever actually regarded him as the heir. And that's the context. of And he didn't know. And he didn't know because he never told him because he's now realizing that as much as he loved his brother, his brother never trusted him with that. And that's when he responds with the violence and whatever else. And Rhaenyra realizes it is that he never told you because she she starts the conversation with, well, of course, the prophecy. And And he's like, what? Oh, wait. Yeah, he was the heir for a period. Does he know about the prophecy? And then the conversation goes, oh, shit, he doesn't. And then he responds with the violence and whatever else. He's also being set off because 
from his perspective, this is war. This is his domain. And she's continually limiting him in that regard. And he's bristling at that effort on her part. I, I mean, it is a action that we would not expect necessarily from Damon to Rhaenyra, but it's also clearly one that Rhaenyra did not expect from Damon either. Uh, so I, I was not opposed to it. I thought it could be perfectly in keeping with the character and the many different facets of him. And it even seemed that after he did it, he seemed a little bit of course. regretful of himself yeah, of course. that he had. Yeah. Well, um, and, and one thing to note is that Martin has a writing credit on this script. So Martin helped write the script. So like, you know, if you got problems with some of the book changes, I mean, so saith Martin. He fucking wrote it. So I don't know what to tell you. I, um, yeah, I, I, I like your interpretation there that he was set off in large part because he realized his brother never really considered him the heir, but also because he felt like he was being undermined, uh, a bit in his, te- his domain, his territory. And it is important to note that in the books, you know, Renera is named Queen of the Seven Kingdoms, uh, the Andor and the First Men, but Damon is named Re- Protector of the Realm. It's a divided crowd, effectively. Yeah, so that's important to note because, like, he does like all how he takes kind of really takes over, um, you know, the war planning, and mm-hmm. he's given all these orders, et cetera, et cetera. That is kind of in keeping with with his position in the book. So I didn't see that as really out of place. Uh, shout out to Eric. Can we give Eric some credit here, Spencer? Eric had a good moment. Eric, you know. We've talked before about the importance of timing. Then that man had the perfect timing to show up, the proper presentation, even, you know, raise the crown so the light hit it just in the right way. That man knows how to frame a scene. Can I, uh, can I explain something to the listeners real quick? I'm going to Spencer explain um, something. No, please, go on. Uh, there's probably a lot of people who are a little like, why didn't Rainey's bend the knee when everybody else is bending the knee? Let me explain. She didn't because it wasn't her place to bend the knee for her house. It wasn't like it, it wasn't like she 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 was not ready to make that decision on behalf of House Valerion. She needed to talk with Corlys first. They had to plan, et cetera, et cetera. So and ultimately, it's Rainey's is the reason, by the way, that we get the scene. Rainey's is the reason that Corlys actually declares. declares for the queen. So we get we need to give Rainey's a lot of credit here. Like she. You? You are giving Rainey's credit. Yeah. I mean, she she played this exactly right. She said, look, you know, I, I no, I think she should have burned him all in the last episode. But let's let's put but, that aside. I like that Damon at least called her out on it. Yeah. And I, you know, but Sarah and I were talking about this. Like, my wife and I were talking about this for the episode. I was like, if anybody's going to call her out on it, it's going to be Damon. And, of course, he does. But it's like she had to wait because her bending the knee – in effect is bending the knee on behalf of house Valeria. And she was, she wasn't in a position to do that. It wasn't her place to do that at that point without the joint decision-making with her husband, which is what we get later. Yeah, and I still don't like that choice at the end of the episode, but they did make a, I'll give them credit for it. They actually crafted, I think better than the writers have in the week break between episodes, an explanation for why, what she did, what she did. It's just what you said. She, it would be a first salve of a war that she doesn't know, or doesn't have a position to decide as to what side as to what side her, her faction is going to commit to. She wasn't willing to make that act because effectively her house hasn't declared what side of the war they're going to fight on. It actually makes sense. That actually it, now makes sense to me. Like I like I don't I still don't like that final scene from it, last episode, but it does make a little bit more sense to me like why she didn't burn them. I mean I I still don't buy it. It's still it's still got problems whatever else, but it is I think the Far and away best writing explanation for why she did what she did. And I'm amazed none of the other writers voiced it. 
Maybe they were just trying to purposely not reveal what the actual No, they're was not. It wasn't it. that smart. It wasn't that smart. It seemed like really clumsy the way they were going out and talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about good things. There's a lot of good things in this episode. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, go ahead. What, let's just, let's cut to the chase. As much as we, let's talk, let's talk about the other big change in this episode. Whoa. Are we going to get to it right away? I think we're in minute eight. Are we going to get to it now? Why not? It's a hell of a scene building up to it. It's one of the most effective moments of horror we've seen in the entire year of the show. Probably the most effective moment of horror of the entire scene in the sky. The you know, this, the, what, what's the quote from the books? The, the thunder roared, the dragons danced, or something along those lines. Yeah, um, yeah. It, we got to see the first of the dance of the dragons in terms of Vagar, Arax, and Aemon and Luke going at each other over the skies of above Storm's End, and. That was some effective television in terms of the tension of that. They really have done wonderfully at making Vagar a proper fucking kaiju. This is not a dragon. This is an elemental beast of the ancient world that is flying through the sky. And they made it properly intimidating. They really did. I mean, you know, when, when Luke is, is trying to escape, you know, we see the image of Vagar above him. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are going to complain that you know, it, it's, it reads in the book. It reads like Eamon meant to kill Luke. It reads open in the book. It reads basically primarily a description of what people saw of, you know, flashes in the sky and then a chewed up half-eaten corpse on the ground. I think it makes perfect sense that Eamon wouldn't have been trying to kill him here. I think it makes perfect sense that he'd be trying to pull Vagar back. This is one. This is the thing that Twitter was so upset about. I, I'm not surprised because it, it – for a lot of people, it's a key moment for Eamon's character that this is the moment that starts the war. This no. is the moment that Eamon did that made it impossible for peace. But it seems very much like a moment in the books, which is just open to any interpretation people want to assign to it, particularly from a retrospective looking at it. So I, I had no problems with this addition. Uh, they've been in some ways hinting. I mean, we had Viserys himself straight up say that dragons were a force that was never meant to be tamed. He also, by the way, he said that. But he also said um, the idea that we control the dragons is a it's farce. A fiction, yes. A farce, fiction or whatever, yeah. I, I, I think it's something they've been playing with the entire show. And it's notable that both of their dragons were not fully under their control there. And I think in large part just because both of their sets of emotions were completely off kilter in that scene. Probably confusing the poor damn dragons, too. Plus, Vagar. Vigar's <laughs> the classic example, start shit, get hit. And that's very much what Vigar responded when little Arax decided to get a little bit snippy. Let's be clear about something. All the listeners, I'm sure, want to know this. I still love Vagar. I, know I you do. absolutely still love Vagar. You have to remember that Vagar came up during the conquest. Vagar is. <laughs> She's a war. Yeah, Vagar is used to fighting, used to war, and when that dragon, <laughs> and when that dragon fired like, you know, uh, fire at at Vagar's face, Aemon couldn't control her anymore, and I kind of like that she couldn't. Con- he couldn't control her anymore. You know, that's more in keeping with the books than what we saw in the in the in the main series, right? Because in the books, it's very clear that Danny has very little control over Drogon. She struggles with it. She talks yeah. about it with her people, the people around her. You know, even the, the why, in the why fighting aren't there pit. Books? How do I learn this? Yeah, well, it, yeah. In the fighting pit, when he takes her up out of there, she's not in control over him. And then when they're out. You know, miles and miles away, right before the Dothraki get her, you know, she's trying to control Drogon and she can't do it. Like, we have a tons and tons of evidence from the book that it's very difficult to control dragons. And the, you know, when, when Vagar is actually meeting another dragon in battle, it would make sense that, like, 
Eamon would have a lot of a lot of trouble controlling her. And it would make sense that Vagar would kind of go back to what she's used to, which is, hey, like I fucking wreck We're shit. Like now? we we I, that that dragon fought for fifty fucking years, you know, during the conquest, and it is ready to roll. So it do, it doesn't surprise me that Vagar acted that way, and it also doesn't <laughs> surprise me that Eamon was trying to pull her back because what we've seen of Eamon in the show so far is controlled chaos. That's what it has been so far. That's what we've seen in the show is controlled chaos. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes, he did start shit at the dinner table, but as soon as Damon stepped in, as soon as his mother called him down, he left. He didn't start an all-out war there. Like, I don't think Eamon would have thought it was his place to kill a prince. It was not It was not what he planned to do. He knows he's going to catch all kinds of shit for it when he gets back to Alicent because he has started the war with this act. And and the fact that it's – and Spencer, the fact that it's an accident is all the more beautiful and tragic. That that the thing that actually starts the bloodshed – was a mistake. It was an accident. And how in keeping with that is it with what the rest of the show is trying to tell us, which is that this war, which seems inevitable, continues to happen through a series of misunderstandings and mistakes that make it all the more tragic. I think it was wonderful. No, I think it, I think it works very well. Again, my biggest complaints are when they make changes that are either clearly worse or a step down from what we saw, saw in the book, or they make changes that aren't in keeping with what they've already established for the characters and the plot and the overall movement of the story. I don't think I, I don't think this fits either of those categories. I thought it was well done. I thought, again, I thought it was very well acted for the characters too. And I, again, this also seems to fit neatly into, was it really a change? Because I'm not sure it was because we all, we, all they, all we, all they know is what the people at Storm's in, like the person who's writing Fire and Blood is kind of to your point. The only thing that they know, the maester knows, is what the eyewitness accounts on the ground in Storm's in said, which was that basically, you know, Luke left. On Rx, and then and then up goes there was a fight. Up goes up goes Vagar, and then bam, and that's all they know. And it's not like Eamon's going to land in King's Landing and send out ravens and say, "Hey, everybody, that was a mistake." Like they they yeah, they have to own it. What else can they do? Especially now that especially now that they ended with that shot of Rhaenyra, because now we know the the Blacks are also going to respond in kind, and like. It's just completely out of control, so it makes a lot of sense that the let's, maester wouldn't have the full story there. Let's also be fair too. This is totally Eamon's fault, no matter how you want to frame it. You, you can't you can't bring something like Vagar to the situation, be yelling out loud about taking an eye from you and everything else, be taunting and chasing the dragons through the skies, and not be responsible for the consequences. Whatever you want to blame, you want to put on Vagar, whatever else. This is Eamon's fault. Are we on the same page for that? Yes, but let me can, can I caveat it? Yeah, please, of course. I think Eamon learned something there that he didn't know. Fair. I don't think Eamon suspected that that, it would, that Vagar would get that out of his control, and he had no reason to suspect it. He's never been in battle with Vagar before, no. so he doesn't know how Vagar would respond to a battle. Now he knows, by the way, and so he needs to be fucking careful, which I'm sure he won't be. But like he needs to be because he learned he learned a lesson there about his dragon that his dragon will get out of control. When taunted, when provoked, and I don't, I, yes, it's his fault. He should not have been provoked. He should not have been taunting the other dragon the way that he was. He should have let it lie. If he, if he really didn't want to kill Luke, which it seemed like he didn't, he, he should have let it lie. It's absolutely his responsibility, but I do think it surprised him. I don't, I don't think he suspected this. Uh, other things I love. I mean, there was a lot to like about this episode. The acting was stellar. There was a lot of great scenes in that regard. Can we shout out Emma Darcy real quick? Holy she, smokes. She did a wonderful they, job with respect to this episode. They did a wonderful job. 
Sorry. Very correct. They did a wonderful job with respect to this episode. Every scene they were in was very well sold. Emma Darcy crushing it, especially with that childbirth scene. Wow, that was good. I was going to mention that. We've already received some comments from our friends about, dear God, they're going for the grotesque. It's like, fair, fair. That was a gnarly friggin' scene. But they acted up a storm with respect to it, and it adds to the trauma and the tensions of get in terms of also a certain measure of revenge with respect to the Greens that the only reason that happened is because of what the Greens did, particularly from her perspective now that she's lost her son, Luke. I also think that Matt Smith brought his fastball to this. Oh, everybody did. I thought, even, even I thought Otto Damon for his one little scene on the bridge. Otto was really good. I, it, I loved, I absolutely loved the parallel, right? That like Rhaenyra shows up I on the dragon. It's, it's loved, beautiful. Loved that it was Otto there. I mean, that's a change. It's, or a, I think it's just Meister Orwell in the books that comes. It's, it's just it's Meister just, Orwell. And by the way, Meister Orwell gets his chain snatched. That's it. That's it. That's the thing. That's the thing in the hip hop community. He gets his chain snatched when he comes to fucking Dragonstone. That didn't happen in the in the show. There, Renair was a little bit more kind. I love the parallels. I think it was episode two, episode three when that happened. I, I love the parallels of that. I love that they very much set up the exact same beats for how it occurs. Uh, it was well framed. I loved the return of that page from episode one that Renair that uh, Renair tore out of the book and handed to Allison so that and she it, remembered it, it for later. I love how Emma Darcy hit the one tear in the eye that you can very visibly see right after yeah. that. I don't know if they hit, hit them with Visine or something, but like it was, it was really solid. Um, and I just love how Damon was on one. Like, I mean, when he brought the King's guard <laughs> out there and had Caraxi stared him down, I was, I was cackling in my house and I just kept telling Sarah, I was like, Damon is on one. Like, let's fucking oh, yeah. go. Cause this, by the way, his him being all one is not over. If anything, it has just gone up five levels. Like, let's fucking roll with Damon. Well, I, another scene I liked, and I wasn't expecting to, because you and I were debating how it could be possible, but Damon going through the Dragon Mount to commune, as it were, with with Vermithor. That so, was a so well done little scene. That's going to confuse a lot of people. I think, especially a lot of our listeners, are now on the fucking eagle eye for Cannibal. Please explain to the <laughs> listeners that this is not Cannibal. This is not cannibal. Uh, in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe in the books, uh, both Vermithor and Silverdang are actually in the Dragon Pit rather than the Dragon Mount. Do I have that correct? Um, I'll, 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 dub, I'll double check because I thought they were in the dra- in the Dragon Pit, but I could, just could have been wrong. But regardless. I think they're uh, both on Dragonstone. Well, they certainly are in the show. Um Vermithor and Silverwing are the dragons of King Jaehaerys and uh, Queen Alizane, uh, who were the rulers of the realm uh, the kings before Viserys, uh, Rhaenyra's father. Uh, are you calling? Are you calling King Jaehaerys and Queen Alicent the kings? The rulers, the the, the monarchs. What the hell called. are you? What kind of history are you writing? Well, it's actually fair with respect to Alicent. Alicent practically ruled as a co-ruler in that regard. Um, but my point is, is that these are two very old, very powerful dragons. Vermithor is. <laughs> depending on the, how big you want to say Cannibal is, which we could argue about that one forever, is probably the second largest dragon in the realm just behind Vagar. A very experienced, very deadly, very powerful dragon that does not presently have a rider. Vermithor and Silverwing are also very popular among the fandom because while dragons are generally rather standoffish of each other, Vermithor and Silverwing are outright cuddly. They're like kittens that like will you know lay in a nest of themselves with each other, which everybody's are- found very cute. Both are both are on Dragonstone. The, the show's correct. Both are okay, on the Dragonstone. Just making sure. Yep. I wasn't I wasn't sure of the timing of when they got those two, but this makes sense. Um, so that is very much the history. I think Alberta is also nicknamed as the Bronze Fury, 
Yeah, um, and I also I I'm this I'm the dragon size guy, right? So let me explain. Uh Vermithor is like I'm taking cannibal out of the discussion for what we don't know. Let's just, we don't let's know. just take cannibal out. Uh Vermithor is the second largest dragon in the realm. He is bigger yeah. than Melee's. Uh he is not quite as big as um as Vagar, but it's close. It's actually pretty darn close. Uh, Vermithor is pretty close. Because Vermithor is about 100 years old. Vermithor is an old, powerful dragon that was previously the dragon of the greatest king of the realm. So, does not presently have a rider, which is an issue. But the fact, as Damon summarized, that not only do we have, you know, seven dragons that we currently have riders for, we have a whole crop of potential ones that we can bring to bear. Now, the fact that he included Cannibal in that list is, I'll say, optimistic, but that's also there, too. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, do you think, let me ask you this question. Do you think Damon had a plan when he was talking about this, or was it more of just a lay of the land uh, discussion? Because I had no idea what he was doing going to Vermithor. I was very confused by that, because it's like, he's not going to ride Vermithor. Like, what the fuck is going on? I think I think Damon was basically just trying to assess his resources. I think in some ways Damon was going in there because he felt like the, that he was being rejected, that his plans for an aggressive war were being rejected by Rhaenyra. So he was just going on to check and see how the weaponry was looking. That's a strange move to just go to Vermithor and like get in his face and sing. That's a weird thing to do. I, I think I think it's a reasonable thing to take the temperature of the dragons that you're hoping you're going to find riders for. Uh, well, he got the temperature. That's for sure. It was a bit he, did, aggressive. Did, he got the temperature. I, I don't understand that move. Uh, maybe they'll explain it in episode one, season two. But I do think, Spencer, we are prepped for a hell of a start to the second season. This is no, you know, typical Game of Thrones season is, you know, you've got like, uh, you know, some a build up. You got then you got episode nine where everything climaxes. Episode ten where it falls down, and then you have a build up at the start of the next season. I think this is like we're still going up the mountain. Like, I don't even think this is, there's no like build up that's going to be in episode one. Like, like the, we didn't even get any fall, no fallout at all from Luke's death. No, no purely just, uh, Emma Darcy's reaction. That's it. Or and Damon's reaction to a certain three, two, which by the way, that's also a change from the book, right? Because, uh, what happens in the book is the timing of the birth. Vagar, well, no, I mean, I think, uh, I'm thinking about Rhaenyra's reaction because what happens is Rhaenyra becomes so grief stricken with the death of Luke that she actually removes herself from her own war council and says, I'm not going to be a part of this for like a month. It's like a long time that she's like completely out of it. That was like the expression I got on Rhaenyra's face here. That was the point I was trying to make is that like what we saw from Rhaenyra in this episode made me think they're going to scratch that and that she's just going to go straight to vengeance. I'm down for it. Uh, (laughs) Me too. Let's go. uh, Okay, uh, one other thing I loved. The fact that the, the, uh, the, uh, god damn it, uh, the painted table lights up with friggin' magma or whatever else they put underneath it is lovely. Isn't that I, cool as shit? I, I don't think that feature's ever been mentioned before, and I'm down for it. That was great. Where did the, why did the red woman know that it had that button? Come on, uh, come on, Melisandre. Show Stannis. Here's the issue. Melisandre and her prophecies are famously inaccurate, and apparently she also doesn't read the manual, which I can heavily sympathize with. So I'll, I'll, let me – we're talking a lot about what we liked about the episode. I did like the episode a lot. I liked it a lot better than last episode. Here's something couple, I didn't like. Here's something I didn't like. couple things to criticize. couple things to criticize. Um, I thought that finally seeing Storm's End was a bit of a letdown. Um, yeah. It, Storm's End is a really big deal in this world and in story, especially in the main series. And, like, we – it really fell flat for me. That seemed like a limited – a surprising – I agree of where I was like, oh, that's Storm's End? It's like a – 
pretty normal looking sized tower on the edge with a curtain castle around it. I was like, that doesn't match, you know, the castle that's designed to literally hold off the storms of gods. But, it, yeah, it, I thought that was a little bit disappointing. I was so set for what I knew was about to occur next, and particularly after Luke landed, we get to see Vagar in profile, led up Ooh. by lightning. Hey, by the way, uh, wasn't that a cool profile to show that they really did model Vagar after a Komodo dragon? It really looked like a Komodo dragon to me. Fair. Yeah, actually, it's a really good call. I hadn't thought about that. So, yeah, I will very much agree. But I thought that, that, that um, there was a few let down this episode. We can go into longer on our full our full episode recap. But that was definitely one of them. One other one, and I'm not going to hold it too much against the show because they have to do a limited time, but the fact that they were taunting me with Krieg and Stark and we didn't get to see Krieg and Stark this episode hurt me personally. Uh, I now have to wait three years before we get to meet Krieg and Stark. And not three years. You're always so negative. Five, seven. So negative. It's going to be yeah, spring of 2024. Spring of 2024, I think, is when we're going to get it. Um, hey, hey, Spencer, real quick. Did you see the teaser for the succession season? At the opening. Ah! How cool was that? It was like HBO's talking to us. Yeah, we got it. We got a teaser. That's the first new footage from the next season, and we we got it right here. Uh, What's what's, what's, what's some other things to comment on this episode? Oh, oh, oh! The off missed other third Valerian house finally showed up. Galsagar! And he had crab. He actually had a crab sigil on him. He did. You know, he didn't have the friggin' Valerian axe, but, you know, there's still time. I, I, I was surprised at how much we had Keltigar erasure up to this point, and I'm cl- glad to see that's been corrected. But Which is also they, hilarious because they gave, the, they gave a, uh, like, in Damon, Vayman's speech two episodes ago, we are the he only says, other ones. we are the only other ones. Yeah, and then we get Keltigar right there, who's also Valerian. Um. I also like. I also like that we got to see a, a degree of remorse occurring over Vayman's death, even though essentially the Sea Stakes reaction seemed to be at first anger, concern, regret, and then he heard what Vayman did, and he's just shaking his head like that fucking moron. Well, it was so. It was perfect in my opinion because the, everything with the Sea Stake, by the way, I felt like they hit out of the park this episode because well, it was absolutely. It was absolutely. A, Is that the Sea Stakes music situation? As he you walked walk in. in. Um, but then there was also that moment where you, I, I love that you pointed it out, where he. It looks like almost like recognition when Rainey says what Vayman did. He almost like recognizes his That's brother. my brother. Yeah, he doesn't even argue. He's just uh And then when he hears Damon took his head, he's not remotely angry at Damon. He almost, he almost chuckles. He almost chuckles like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's so funny that like Rainey's has been pushing Corliss over and over again. Please stop with the ambition. Please stop. Please stop. And finally he goes, I got it. Through this, I understand. I'm done. And she goes, well, <laughs> uh, I know I've been asking you to do this for 30 years, but this is not the best time. Like, we're going to need you to do something. Uh, I, <laughs> I need you to go out there and do the Claire for Renera right now. <laughs> I also like that the uh, peace terms that Otto conveys are pretty much word for word what you read from the, book. read from the, la- from the books. And I like that basically – Rhaenyra's reaction is, I'll consider it, and then it makes no effort to actually consider it. I feel like what people get have gotten so upset about is they assume that they know, I think, a little bit more than they really know. Like, they think they know the Damon character. And so they're like, Damon would never do that. And it's like, I'm not sure you know the Damon character. He's, he's written from afar in the books. We're just getting to meet him in the show at season one. Like, you, like people who are on Twitter stomping and yelling, going, "Damon wouldn't sh- wouldn't 
Choke Rhaenyra. It's like, hold on a second. Let them tell you who Damon is first. Like, you don't know. And also the thing with Aemon, it's like, there's no way a maester would have known Aemon's intention there if he meant to or did not mean to or Vagar got away from him. And like, if you're complaining that like the, the dragons didn't listen to commands, it's like, just go reread the last book that George R. R. Martin wrote in the series. Like the, that, that book over and over again, Danny struggles with Drogon. So like, there's absolutely canon reasons for it. It's like, I feel like people are being very presumptive about their knowledge of what happened and the characters. And it's like, wait a second. Like, we need to let them tell the story. Let's watch it. This is particularly a situation of where people are judging the characters based on data points they have later, based on what they know from the books the characters do later. And based on that, they're trying to assess their actions now, a point by which the show hasn't gotten to those later events. The show could be different in that regard. It could be painting its own versions of the characters. The only way you can really fairly judge this is where a literal event happens in the book, and it's different on the show. You have a right to judge perfectly whether you liked one better than the other. If you didn't like Lord Beesbury's death as much in the show versus in the books. I I'm with you. I get you. I, I perfectly get it. If they add a scene, which you know doesn't happen in the books, you have a right to judge whether it works within the context or not. Rainey's coming out of the dragon pit, killing a lot of civilians, and then peacing out. Doesn't work for me. Fine. If you, don't, if you don't like the scene, perfectly understand. But when you're judging a scene that does not have a parallel necessarily in the books, or at least one that's not clearly described, and you're judging it purely based on events that happen that haven't happened on the show and happened later, particularly Eamon, which I'm not going to spoil it, but particularly later for Eamon, it, it, it seems unfair for the show. Because you clearly don't know what they're doing yet, and you're judging it based on events that we don't know exactly what happened in the books with events that we do know exactly happened later, but the show hasn't had its own opportunity to depict yet. So, Well said. It's a, it's a bunch of like people who love it so much that they've become like pseudo like they've in their own mind they think that they're like worthy yeah. of writing the show and it's like just chill like let them tell the story and like i don't know i i really appreciated the the quote change from Eamon because i did not get so far in the show that he was someone who was going to go completely out in left field and start like the first bit of real blood fighting in this war on his own, without orders, without talking to anybody about it. We've not seen any of that from well, him. So it's it, it just in keeping with the character that we have seen so far in the show, not the, the guy you think you read in the books or that you think is, we're going to see later, what we have seen so far in the show. Very well said. Now, question, though, and this is just a question of interpretation that we can go into greater detail later, but if Lord Bar uh, Baratheon had not intervened, Lord Boris Baratheon, do you think Eamon would have actually forced a fight with Luke right there in Storm's End? Eamon was going to take Luke's eye. He was not going to kill Luke. He was going to send Luke back with missing an eye. I very much agree. Luke so, would have survived, by the way. He probably would have had to stay at Storm's End for a little longer because he'd have lost his eye. But I think Eamon's idea was, I'm going to take his eye. That's fair. He took my eye. And that that was the end of it, I think, for him. And that's the last data point that anybody in that room, including the Meister, had before they then found Luke's corpse and torn in half dragon washing up ashore. So you can understand why they might interpret the events in a way that we, at least in the context of the show now, know is not entirely accurate. I consider myself a bit of a Vagar expert. <laughs> As you've often said, yes. So let me explain. Vagar would 100% do this. Like, this is absolutely in key. It's, uh, by the way, it's pretty in keeping with what happened during the conquest with Visenya. Visenya had trouble with Vagar from, from time to time. Like, Vagar has always been sort of a, a badass, 
ready to roll. Like, let's do right. this. And there were, there were like, I, I, I have like some, some theories about like why, for instance, uh, they never sent, uh, Visenya and Vagar to, uh, Dorne, uh, because I think that like, as bad as it was with Meraxes and Rainies there, it would have been doubly worse because Visenya was, was hard as fuck and Vagar like was an unforgiving dragon that okay. they routinely had troubles with. So I think this is absolutely in keeping with the dragon's character as well. Keep in mind, this is also Vagar, the dragon that gives rides to children when they're in the veil. So there's various data points to go in terms of assessing Vagar's character. I like, oh, by the way, I like that they backed up on the Riverlands talk, right? Because like in the last episode, they were like, oh yeah, we'll just send a raid to the Riverlands and we got the Riverlands. And I was like asking you specifically at the recap, I was like, Spencer, what? Yeah, and now, but, uh, now it's clear that the, they don't, nobody knows what the Riverlands are going to do. And I, I like that because that's, that's the truth is that like the, the fucking Tullys and the Freys really, because the Freys have a lot of power now in the Riverlands, they haven't decided that we don't know. Yeah, I think what, what was the exact word that Rhaenyra used? That their loyalty is fickle, or something along those lines. Uh, each side is trying to trying to you know bring them to their side, and I like that Otto heavily emphasized in his you know peace offer that we've already sent ravens out to all of them, extending offers. Offers, so it's basically a done deal. I know, but he said they're considerated. I, I I actually said to Sarah, I was like, ah ah, keyword considering considering. Very good, but hey, they won the fight when it came to Baratheons. It's clear that Rhaenyra should have had something to, uh, something more to offer in that circumstance. She learned a lesson. I'm sure she learned a lesson that she can't just send a raven and say, hey, let me remind you of your oath. That's not the way this is going to get done. And I think she probably learned a lesson there. Now, I did not, now, let me ask you this. Did you take it as the Baratheons were declaring for the Greens? No. Not necessarily. They were rebuffing the queen's entreaty, but he essentially was indicating that next time she sends me a letter. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too, is that he was saying, go back and try again, basically. Right. Here's the offer I've got from them. Can you match it? No, I'll wait till you can. And let's let's explain to the listeners, like the guy that we saw when, when Rhaenyra was going out and hearing all the marriage offers, right? The guy that was sitting with her was the father of the guy we saw today. Yeah, hence why he's and not, not gray of beard. Yeah, and and that was a nice Baratheon, right? The guy who was sitting with with Rhaenyra, right? He he, lo- he clearly loved and cared for Rhaenys. He was the one, the same one that also took her favor at the tournament. Yeah, and then he had a son. Now, do you think we're going to get two nice Baratheons in a row? Of course not. So it makes perfect sense <laughs> that his son's an asshole. Like that's just that's absolutely in keeping with that bloodline, like hundred percent. Like I, I I was not surprised in the way that the son was acting at all, uh, but I did not take it as he was declaring for the Greens. Now. You have to ask yourself, will Rhaenyra think that the Baratheons were somehow complicit in the death of Luke? Will this will this change her approach to them? Will she not not be sending another letter? Will she be sending fire and blood? That's a question that we all have to consider going into season two. Lee, are you offering the question about whether the Black Queen may have certain trust issues going forward? I yeah, I do. Because I think, (laughs) yeah. And and I also think, like, you know, uh, we have to wonder, like, is she going to just go to these people like now that this has happened and now that we saw the vengeance and anger on her face is she going to continue to go to people open-handedly or is it going to be a little bit more of stiff arming a little bit more like damon's approach which was hey i'm just going to fucking roll caraxes up to the riverlands and like threaten to burn them all to death if they don't pull together an army and go to king's landing i do absolutely adore though that when they're pondering their options and the meister mentions uh you know sending sending a, a, a raven or a dragon up to house stark 
he immediately says, "Well, the House House Starks obviously at our camp. They've never dis- they've never dishonored a promise a promise in all of their known history." Yeah, there's never been a Stark that's broken oath ever. Basically, is what he said, which is pretty hilarious. I I do like the emphasis on the Starks. Um, obviously connecting you oh, to the main series. I think we'll get that. I think we'll get Jace up there. Um, in the first season, I'll go ahead and spoil this for the, the listeners. I don't care that you, that you know this. Jace gets up to Winterfell and he hangs out with Creek and Stark and they basically become drinking buddies and like go hunting and shit. And that's like one of the coolest things that I've seen in the books is that like he gets up there and they just start like pounding beers and like going to shoot elk or whatever. Oh, please. Let us have a whole episode of the two of them hanging out. I don't care if, the, if season two is, you know, 12 episodes long. Give us an extra one of them just being bros. Uh, anything else you liked or didn't like from the episode immediate reaction? No, there's going to be some nitpicks that I think it's worth discussing in our longer episode, um, and a few a few adjustments that I think merit a little bit longer talk. But as it stands, the acting was off the charts. The pacing was great in terms of building the episode and building the tension over time. I was very fond of this episode. I think this will definitely rack in my top half of the season, may even do better than that come the end. And it's a notable for me improvement both in terms of feeling and improvement in terms of my initial assessment compared to episode nine. I I have high marks to say for this episode, and it gives me a great feeling going into the, as discussed, six to nine year wait between this and the next season. And there wasn't even a sex scene. Look at that. You liked an episode that there wasn't even a sex scene in it. Can you believe but, that? But, but, but they gave me a birth. So, you know, we got that repeated theme going from the last, eh, what, seven times we've had that on the show? It will not, don't, don't panic the listeners. It's not going to be six years before season two. It's going to be a year to a year and a half. And then we'll, fine, then we'll get fine. season two and it'll we'll, be super exciting. We'll, this is, this is Spencer who thought that it would, the season wouldn't come, wouldn't come out in 2022 and bet me an amount of money, which he has still yet to pay me. Uh, yeah, I think I agreed to pay that to charity. I think it was our prior discussion, but don't worry. I think we're in agreement. We'll have the difference and say it'll just be an even 12 years. Fine yeah. enough. Good, good talk. It, to early 2024. I'm super excited about it. So, uh, yeah, I think that for me, this was a, uh, a success as far as a, a finale. You know, I talked to some casuals who were like, ah, are we going to get a big dragon battle? And it's like, well, <laughs> we did get a dragon battle, but like, I think what they're thinking is like war and it's like, this is still the first season. Next Remember season. that. It's still the first season. Next there's there's going to be four seasons of this. So, you know, if there's going to be war, you're going to get it in later seasons. I think this was a a resounding success of a season. I will talk more about this in our recap or our full recap on Tuesday. But I think that the where the show tripped, I think you can draw a direct line to how they did the show, which is they shot – they wrote pretty much finalized the scripts. I think they wrote all the scripts, but they finalized the scripts and shot everything from season from episode six to ten and then went back and did one to five. And I think when you start talking about some of the continuity issues and the writing and the acting, I think you can pretty much draw a line to that decision, which I think they had to do because of like actors availability and stuff. But like having Doing episodes six through ten and then going back and doing one through five, I'll give you just one example. I'm going to give you a bunch of them on Tuesday, but one example of the continuity issues is in, I think, how Rhaenyra physically works with Damon. I think that Emma Darcy and Matt Smith acted it almost familial, and I think that uh, Millie Alcock acted it very sexual, and Mm -hmm. it's a very jarring difference when they change actors in how Rhaenyra is approaching Damon. And I think that if Emma Darcy had a chance to see how Millie Alcock was going to act it, she might, they might have acted it a little bit differently. So that's 
just an example of where I think the show started to trip because of production issues and how they made it. So that I'm going to further that thesis on Tuesday when we talk. But overall, very successful. I'm giddy. I'm happy we're back in the world of Westeros. It's got me reading my Westeros books again. It's got me back into the world. So thank you, House of the Dragon. I'm extremely happy. Spencer, anything else you want to cover tonight? No, man. I I have a good feeling in my belly as a result of this episode. And it's going to make it a delight rather than a chore to rewatch it the necessary seven times before I talk about it with you again. Ah, what a pro. What a pro. And speaking of Spencer being a pro, we do have our next show that we can announce. Uh, the next show that we are going to be reviewing and talking about is White Lotus. I'm so excited. We're doing White Lotus. White Lotus. Uh, it's been, do a, White been a while Lotus. since we did a comedy. It's gonna, it works out perfectly for our schedules because we're going to do White Lotus, and then I think we'll we'll easily fall right into Mandalorian and then be able to go right to Succession. I think it's going to work perfectly for our schedules. It's going to be a fun six months, man. We're going to have a blast with White Lotus. It's going to be a very different tone in this podcast. We take this podcast seriously because we know people love this show. We love They love the canon. They love the books. White Lotus is just going to be – all hills we're going to break loops on that podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun. So please go subscribe to the new podcast feed we have for our White Lotus Review podcast. It's called Enjoy Your Stay. Enjoy Your Stay. Uh, so please check that out. Uh, it's on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell Apple's calling it now. It's called Enjoy Your Stay, an unauthorized review of White Lotus. So please go subscribe to that. And starting next week, we're going to start reviewing White Lotus. But before then, Spencer... We're not quite done. We're not quite done with House of the Dragon. We're going to do one more episode here on this podcast feed. We will be doing a full review of this episode, and we will probably tack on to that a sort of like recap of the season and what we thought of the season. So it'll probably be kind of a long podcast as we go through the finales, we go through our thoughts of the season. That will be with you probably Tuesday, very, very late at night or early Monday, early Wednesday morning. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We hope you enjoyed chatting about it with us, and we will see you Tuesday. 